millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Excited to welcome Vanessa Fitzgerald to the podcast. So, some of you may know her as V's Honey, the name she goes by on Instagram, but some of you may also know her from her NRT practice. She is also the co founder of Paya Health, which is a skin supplement. She is also a content creator, a advisor, investor, and overall wellness enthusiast, and has healed so many people, including myself and my husband, um, <laughs> over the years. So welcome to the podcast, Vanessa. Wow. Thanks for having me. That uh, intro actually made me feel much better about myself <laughs> than I was two minutes ago. Shit, I forgot I do all that. That's what this podcast is for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're highlighting your achievements. I like that. Yeah. I, I need to remind myself of my highlight real. (laughs) Honestly, it's true. Sometimes you just need that. Yeah. We always start the podcast with what is your definition of fulfillment and what is your definition of success and are the two related? I would say I think a lot of people define fulfillment as contentment, but contentment also some people are like, that is a bad word because then you're, you could be settling, you could be stuck, you could be not growing. But I like to think of fulfillment as it's like a state of inner peace and self-love where you're not looking to the outside to feel something or make you feel a certain way. You just are. And just by being, you are in a state of satisfaction. And that's what I think fulfillment is. Would you consider yourself fulfilled right now? No. Okay. Because I'm still doing a lot of the inner work. I'll have moments of fulfillment. I'll have months sometimes of feeling a sense of fulfillment. But it's hard also to really stop and tell unless you're really on top of your meditation game because everything's a distraction. A cup of coffee is a dopamine hit, you know, a piece of chocolate, a song, 
you know, an interaction with somebody, like to really sit with yourself and Mm -hmm. really question that takes incredible discipline because otherwise everything else, the dopamine, I mean, the phone alone, I met a girl the other day that turned her phone off. And so she was writing her appointments. She was a client in her paper schedule. She's like, sorry, I turned my phone off. And I said, well, how do you contact people? She said, email only from my computer. She's like, my parents are going nuts, (laughs) but I just decided I had too much. And it had been a week, no phone. I was like, that is just wild. That takes crazy mental discipline. Right. So you're basically saying that fulfillment for you, first of all, in order to see if you have it or at that state, you need to get time and stillness. You need to be without any distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's hard to differentiate if it's the distraction and like the joy of interacting with someone or just being fulfilled in life. Yeah. Do you think that your relationships, like friendships and romantic, do you tie that to your definition of fulfillment? Or do you also think Yeah, but I'm trying to work on looking to people to fulfill me. Like the other day I was feeling, you know, very down and scattered and like anxious. And so I asked my girlfriend to come over, sleep over, and then proceed to spend the whole day with me the next day. Like I'm looking to her to fulfill what is missing inside of me in that moment. So, and that is when I'm aware of it. Like I'm hyper aware that that's happening. I don't want to do that to a friend or romantic partner or the problem is, is that we're all fallible and we're all so human. And I think, especially when it comes to romantic relationships, even parent-child relationships, we're looking to that person to fulfill all of our needs. And they literally cannot, they cannot, it's actually impossible because they have their own issues and way of being and things that might piss you off or things that don't make you feel like your love language is being fulfilled. But the people that say, no, no, my partner fulfills me or I'm fulfilled and they're not really, it's not like a codependent thing. That person is already fulfilled. They have a fulfilled baseline and they're able to get into partnership where they feel super fulfilled in the partnership. That's because they're not looking for their partner to fix, solve, heal those things. Okay. That's really interesting because yesterday I was with a cousin of Mm -hmm. mine at our friend's baby shower and she is about to get laid off. And she, and that's obviously a scary feeling. And she was super emotional about it. And she's like, I've worked at this company for five years, you know, was really strung out about it. She's like, I don't have a boyfriend right now. I don't have, I feel like I don't have anything. And I like had this thought, I was like, wow, Because I've heard that before, right? Like you shouldn't outsource to your friends, your family, or your partner to make you happy or to fulfill you because it's a recipe for disaster. But with work, like now I think about it, I guess I've constantly been looking for my work to fulfill me, but maybe that's also not the right path because then it's still something outside of you that's kind of out of your control. Totally. And it's hard because I always say too, like men need their purpose and like for them to feel fulfilled, work is a huge part of it. So then when I take a step back, because in my 20s, when I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do, I always thought like, if I had this career, then everything is going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the work itself or the career itself or the title itself. It's the feeling of being in flow. Because you could have all those things and still not feel that. But when you're in flow and you're like in your purpose and on your life's path, 
it will bring you that sense of fulfillment because you feel like you are making a difference in the world the way that you are individually meant to, rather than looking for like the day-to-day, like work is going to make me happy today or, or this achievement will make me happy. It's just sort of that feeling of, again, inner satisfaction being in flow. And that's when I think like success changes for, for everyone, like whatever their success, I I think again, is like having like inner peace and happiness. Like, you know how hard that Mm -hmm. is to truly get and to maintain. Like to me, that is like ultimate success in life. To wake up every day feeling excited, in flow, in alignment. I think going to your point, Vanessa, it's like, how do you be in your magic every day? Like, how do you using your main qualities that the universe is giving you to, you know, spread to the world? That's what inner fulfillment is for me too. It's like work is just a vehicle and some people work to make money and all that. And they're driven by money in order to have success. And that's their definition of fulfillment and success. But really it's it's more of like an inner feeling and how you feel during the day if you're in your purpose or in alignment. Yeah, and sometimes people work to distract. Like yeah. sometimes people drown, like I think a lot of men do that, like drown themselves in work so they don't have to sit with themselves. Oh, totally. If they don't want to feel something, they'll like throw themselves into work just to <laughs> numb. It's, you know, workaholism is like, just as addictive as alcoholism and drug addiction and things like that. It's all, honestly, at the end of the day, it's all a dopamine hit. It's all a high people are looking for. We're all looking for it. I'm looking for it. We're a dopamine dopamine society. Yeah. Do we think it's, I think it's probably a fallacy that we all wake up every day. Like there's just no way as being a human, and I'm only just learning this, that you can wake up every day being like, I don't need dopamine. I'm good. Like I am fulfilled from within, Right. I mean, you can get there, I think, if you get to the point where you're like you don't need so anything. good in the stillness. You're not reaching for your phone or you're not playing those stories in your head. I mean, even that, just like letting your mind run wild in the wrong direction is, people don't realize this, but your problems are also your dopamine hit. It's like, that's your your comfort. That's your safety blanket. If you've woken up 30 years of your life and every single day you wake up and you're like, oh, it's another day. I'm anxious. I have this to do. I have that to do. Well, that's what you've trained yourself to now do. That's your baseline is like anxiety, you know, but it's also like weirdly feeds you. Cause then when you try to stop doing that, the discomfort that comes with that is a lot. It's a lot to get rid of, to not associate yourself with your pain, not define yourself as your pain or your sickness or anxiety or your depression or your worry. Once you cut off that definition, the way you've defined yourself for so many years, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And that also stems from childhood usually, which is a very hard pattern to get out of. Yeah. And also it can stem from like just being in utero. You could just be absorbing your parents' stress and anxiety and depression And then carry this thing in you that doesn't belong to you, essentially. That's why I'm trying to make sure my baby is not stressed You're going to do an outstanding job. (laughs) (laughs) No stress, no anxiety. Just, yeah. yeah. Stillness. We're like all about this stuff. Like I like, when I hear that, I'm like, yes, I completely agree. I also agree that if you like, we were saying, if you don't process an emotion and if it's held in your body, it can turn into disease. Like that's what I believe. 
a lot of people don't believe that. Mm -hmm. In terms of relationships, when you're dating someone, how important is that to you that they are on the same page as you? You know, it's funny. I don't typically, like, I don't like to date people that are in health and wellness, like the wellness industry. I've never, I don't think I've actually ever dated anybody. I mean, gone on dates, but not like seriously date anybody in the wellness industry because I like that polarity. But doing the self-work and the inner work and the journey, I do believe is important to me. I just got out of a relationship with somebody who is a man in every sense of the word and keeps it together, doesn't have moments of depression. Sure, gets like anxiety, but never overwhelmed. Like you'd think in my mind, I'm like, this man has no problems, no trauma whatsoever, no issues, no psychological whatever, right? And everybody kept telling me like, that's actually impossible. I'm like, no, no, no. It's not impossible, this, that, and the other. And the longer I was with him, I would see like gastrointestinal issues come up, posture issues come up, a few like other health things come up. And I'm like, oh, he stores all of his anxiety and past trauma in his stomach and his gut. And it's almost as if a string is pulled down from his chin to his pelvis. So he's like becoming a question mark because none of that is moving or getting expressed. And then it just gets, but then every time I would bring it up, it was like a I'm insane, right? It's just, I ate broccoli or I ate whatever. And it's like, I mean, really going to live your life blaming all of this on everything else. It's like, you're not actually dealing with it. So then I thought, well, you know what? That's his journey. This is mine. I don't need that. It's like, it's like trying to change your parent. It's like, why? Like you're supposed to love somebody as they are and not change them. Then I would get these thoughts of fear. It's like, if he's not expressing things there, well, what if there's like a heart attack one day or, you know, cancer or things like that? Why not try to change that? Why not express it? Why not deal with it? And then I started getting really anxious at times. And what I realized is because I'm an empath and because I do what I do for a living on a subconscious level, I didn't even realize this. It's almost as if I was expressing for him. And it was starting to make me crazy because I was starting to get really emotional a lot because I think I was just almost like I was there to process his pain that he wasn't processing. And so that's when I realized, I think it's, I had this healer tell me when I was first getting into the relationship, she's like, you can have an excellent relationship with anyone you choose to, because whoever you get in a relationship with is going to be a good human being because of your radar. But at the end of the day, I feel in this relationship, you might wake up having everything you've ever wanted, right? Nobody has said no to you and whatever it is in this relationship, but you're going to feel like something's missing. And then I'd never, I just kind of brushed it off and I understand. Now I understand. And the thing that's missing is that inner deep soul connection, that those conversations, that understanding, that being able to have somebody hold space for me, to even know what hold space means while I'm going through it and not try to fix or solve or do anything like that, which I think also requires true vulnerability, which I'm trying to also get better at. So yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's important for me to have that depth of love and connection 
even when it comes to like co-parenting, to have somebody who is willing to do the work too. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point. I think so often, and I think so many people struggle with this, especially in relationships, we have this like checklist of things, right? Surface level things. We want to be tall, smart, this, that, make me feel good, take me out for all the things that sometimes we don't realize these things earlier on that they're not capable of being super vulnerable and open and sharing their feelings and all that because we're blinded by all the check marks, right? Mm -hmm. That everyone else sees, right? He was perfect on paper. You always said that, right? So it's like, how do you get to the more deeper stuff earlier on so that you're not just, you know, being in it for the wrong reasons? And by the way, there are people that are like him that are a good match for him in that sense. I think there's two levels. Like he was attracted to me because I was opening his eyes and his world in that way. And in feeling in that way, he actually, I think, really enjoyed the depths of it. But what I've also realized is the more I get into, which is like a whole nother conversation, I got really into like reading about some human design stuff. <laughs> and some people are just not meant, that's not their journey. Their journey isn't mm-hmm. to feel and talk and go and, you know, that they have to be, feel called to that. And there are people that are very, you know, surface level. There are couples and they thrive off that. That's their thing. They work. Like, they work, but that's because they're both on that path. That's their journey together. So I just don't want people listening to this and going like, you know, questioning themselves or their relationship or whatever it is. It's, it's whatever brings you inner joy and satisfaction and fulfills your soul with your partner. It doesn't mean that like not everybody drowns to the depths that I do. And the only reason I think why I'm also called to be a healer in this lifetime. And I think with all of that, I need a certain type of partner who is willing to go into the depths with me and also help pull me out of those depths. When do you think you recognize that? Because that takes, like, I was in a really long relationship in my 20s. And he wanted to go there with me, but I I felt like I was, like, tugging him along. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a relationship where, like, this person really sees me and will go there with me. And he doesn't do or check off some of those other boxes. Mm -hmm. But, like, that feeling is so nice. You know, like, it took me a long time and a lot of trial and error to figure out that was what was more important to me. Yeah, the soul. I mean, it's literally everybody's looking into twin flames and soulmates and whatever. It's really just, it's the soul that that should be the first thing that you should be looking for is that soul connection. Like, do I like this soul? Let's strip the outer, you know, layer. Of course, physical attraction is important. Great. You have the soul. Then when it comes to a successful relationship, you really got to look at everything else. Finances, how are you going to raise a child? I always say to everyone, love is not enough. It just is not. Love is not the end all be all. You really have to agree on so many things and so many, you know, on so many different levels to have a successful relationship. It's like there are all these different pillars of a relationship. And if you're just looking to like fall in love and some people are like, well, that sounds so transactional and I don't mean it to be, but love is a choice at the end of the day. Like we can love many people. We can fall in love many times, but it's a choice in choosing that partner and love should be the first basis. But then you also have to like realize that that's the soul that you're working with through financial success and financial ruin, through death, through birth, through, 
you know, friendships through all of that. And like, can I navigate everything with this person successfully? That's a really great way to put it. I think vulnerability for me at least is a non-negotiable in that web, because if we're going to have to do all of that together and do life together and experience the struggles and the highs and all that, then vulnerability is a non-starter because they need to be able to express Uh, I need to be able to understand their emotions. We need to be able to communicate on a deeper level in order to go through all those things. So how does vulnerability play a role? Because I know that you're very vulnerable on social media. Are you also very vulnerable in your relationships? Do you look for vulnerability in your relationships? No, it's funny you should bring that up. I am very good at playing the game of intimacy and vulnerability. And while I'm very, quote, vulnerable on social media, And I look that way when it comes to my interpersonal relationships, especially romantic, I am terrified of vulnerability. And I didn't realize this until the end of last year when I was trying to make this relationship I was in work and I started throwing, I hadn't been in therapy in years and I was like doing therapy. I did a plant medicine journey. I was doing all these things. I was doing Joe Dispenza meditations. I kept having this picture of cement around my heart. And what I realized is that I'm not actually vulnerable. I'm really good at playing the game and I'm really good at playing the game of intimacy. And true vulnerability is like sitting there without ego and someone saying something to you or you're in a situation that could be so, so painful, right? So, so painful. But just to sit there still and be love is not my specialty. So I started working on trying to crack that open and the discomfort that comes with being in those situations and being truly vulnerable. Like Brene Brown, I used to listen to all her talks and it didn't actually hit me until I had the personal realization, like, holy shit, I am not really truly vulnerable. And I'm terrified of true intimacy because it's always like, you know, oh, I'm fine. It's all good. Like there's like this tough girl that comes out and I think that in a relationship, vulnerability is so important because I think a lot of fights start because you're not being vulnerable. You get defensive or you go on the attack or you start to prove that you're right or you're scared to break, things like that. Like vulnerability, I think, is such an important part of true intimacy, like real intimacy, not just like sex and like connection, but like real deep intimacy, like going through the shit together when you feel like you're worse or look like you're worse and navigating that together. And do you think that that stems from childhood for you? Yeah. Like the trying to protect myself constantly. Being terrified of intimacy. Yeah. I think I'm the definition of a survivor and I come from a line of women that are the definition of survivor. And I'm trying to unwind that a little bit I had a lot of trauma in my lifetime. And I also think that's been my calling in a way because of what I do. It wasn't necessarily a choice of mine. It was a soul contract. And because of all the trauma that I've been through, you know, I think the way that I was able to escape it without becoming a drug addict on the streets or, you know, a complete and total mess or in an insane asylum (laughs) is like, it served me really well. And I think it served me, like it, it really helped me, but now it's not serving me anymore. 
And I have to realize that there's a shift and thank that part of me for protecting myself, for surviving, for being tough, for having that edge and like, don't fuck with me mentality. And now it's like, that's great. We're in a completely safe space now. I am safe in my body. I am safe in my life. I am safe. It's time to switch it off. I think it's tough. I don't know if you feel this way, but as someone who, like I'm in a new relationship now, but like generally dating in my thirties, et cetera, like more than childhood, I think like my mom was kind of a survivor. So like I came from a long lineage of that and like my parents are Iranian and immigrated here and they just had to like survive and make it and all this stuff and like very tough love. And all of that, I think a hundred percent shapes you and guards you, et cetera. And like you learn those things, especially from your mother. But I do think also dating, you know, now I've been dating since I was 15 and getting hurt can sometimes also just slowly close your heart, whether you like it or not. Because even sometimes I do all this work, I do Reiki, I do CAP, I do all this stuff. And I'm still like, find myself in my current relationship being like, I don't want to go there. And I thought I was really good at being vulnerable. And I'm like, oh, I'm good at being vulnerable with the things that I'm comfortable being vulnerable with, which isn't really vulnerability. So I think it can also be through like romantic relationships. Wherever the trauma starts, it starts. It's like, it's not necessarily all childhood. Yeah. Some people are like, oh, it's my childhood. Some people, it's not their childhood. It's their divorce later on. It's med school. It's whatever it is. That's where their trauma comes from. And it has created this maybe, you know, survivor mentality or inability to be vulnerable or issues with trust. So if there are issues like that, that come up, it's not necessarily all from childhood. And a lot of it is from romantic relationships, because I think that's what requires us to be so vulnerable. You put yourself in that position to get hurt. And the first few times you get hurt, you're like, well, this doesn't feel good. Yeah. And society, I think as a whole for both men and women, like vulnerability is stigmatized as weak. Yeah. You know, like I think men are afraid of it for their reasons and women are afraid of it for, like it's scary to be seen. Yeah, I also think trauma sometimes has, there is a fallacy around it. I think people think of trauma as like the big T, right? Like, oh, like there was a massive death in the family or something so major happened. But there's a lot of little traumas that also have huge impact on you. So some people like go through life, oh, I, I never had like trauma, but that's because the label around trauma is seems to be so large and big. Oh, yeah. That could be micro traumas, teeny little traumas that compound over time. Or it could be one little small incident that then for the rest of your life started to define like, I am not enough. It could have just been one small thing in a school play. You know what I mean? Like you just, it's so crazy. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It's just the way that our brain and our body absorbed that moment in time. Yeah. That was actually going to be one of our questions is like, you seem to have, it's interesting to hear you say that vulnerability is something you're like working on in interpersonal relationships because online you're so vulnerable, which is hard to do. Mm -hmm. Like that's not something that I'm comfortable doing. Was that something that just came naturally to you or you just felt like there was a distance? Because I feel like that's tough. It's really tough. I actually feel, Vanessa, that I'm the opposite. Like I can be very vulnerable with my friends and my relationships. I think vulnerability is my superpower and has got me to where I am. But when it comes to like sharing online or, you know, putting myself like in a crazy spotlight, 
Even this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I like even try to think about it. I'm like, how, why is it so easy for me to do that? And I don't know if it's because you're not just facing sitting across from one person that you have to do life with. I'm talking to a bunch of strangers, thousands of strangers. And I know for a fact that none of my problems or issues are unique or special. None of them. If anybody's sitting there going, I'm so special in my pain, you're so wrong. (laughs) You put it out there and there's hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of other people in the world that are going through the same exact thing that you are. We are all connected. We are all one at the end of the day. And the only thing that separates us is our idea that we're separate. And so when I put it out there and I get, sure, I get like negative people, I just delete it. But it's like, I'm in control of what I allow in at that moment. So I can say, you know, I'm feeling this way. I'll have so many people be like, I feel you. I am experiencing this too. And I had a teacher once when I was really struggling with depression at like 14, he handed me a book called No Man is an Island. And realized none of us are an island. Like we need community. We cannot do it alone. Community is so important. So this community has given me so much. At first, for sure, I was scared. I was raised in a household where like, I wasn't allowed to tell people that I didn't know my biological father. I had to lie that somebody else was for most of my life. Like you don't tell people that you are going through a breakup, a divorce, like nothing. You don't tell people your personal stuff. That is airing your dirty laundry. That is inappropriate. It is uncouth. It is not good. So when I decided I wanted to get off Adderall and I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to do this if I keep trying to do it by myself. And so it was an experiment and I like filmed myself for four days. And then I spoke to like the women in my life at the time that were very vulnerable. One of them was actually Rich Roll's wife, Srimati, she goes by now, but I've known her since I was like 11 and I had lunch with her at Cafe Gratitude and she's like, you should do it. You should totally do it. Like post it, who cares? And I did. And it was amazing, like the response I got. And that's when I was like, oh my God, like I'm not special. And so many people are like, just to have that conversation, just for someone to say, I see you, I'm going through the same thing is so powerful. And you feel seen, but it's totally different than sitting across from somebody. If I'm posting something like, you know, I'm feeling so unmotivated and depressed right now. Right. And then I go into my love relationship and I sit there with them and I'm like, I'm feeling so unmotivated and depressed. What does a man usually need to do? They're like, I need to fix this. Yes. So they're like, they start spinning out and then they're taking it on. And then all of a sudden I catch myself going, no, 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 but I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Like, no, no, you don't have to worry about it. Like I'm going to be fine. Like I just have to do this, that, and the other, like what's for dinner? You know, like, it's just, that's what I catch myself doing because I don't want them to judge me and I don't want them to take it on. I don't want to be a burden to anybody, that type of thing. Online, it's like, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just sharing it. People are writing back. Nobody's taking it on because it's not their responsibility. Not saying it's my partner's responsibility either, but they feel that. Yeah. It's disarming. Yeah online to see that because you're like, oh, we all are like this. We're all in this together. It's honestly why we started this podcast. Yeah. Do you feel like you're going to social media sometimes for fulfillment? Like we were talking at the beginning about like 
being fulfilled by our friends or a relationship or a partner? Do you feel like sometimes you go on to get the dopamine? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I feel like I don't go to social media to get it, but when I'm not on social media, cause I'm very inconsistent with it because of work. And then if I don't post for, it's like riding a bike for me. If I don't post for like five days, four or five days, or I take a break, I get tremendous anxiety. I get so much anxiety because I'm not on it because I'm not sharing. So I'm not posting. And then it's like, okay, you can do this. Just post one thing, Vanessa. You can just one thing and then I can't do it. It's like so crazy, but I never go to it for that. I actually, when I'm away from it, have that. And it's a problem. Like it's a problem where I'm like, well, if I'm not doing this, I'm not contributing to the world and I'm not growing. I'm not expanding. I'm going to become insignificant. Nobody's going to care. I'm not going to matter you know, that type of thing. So-and-so is crushing it and they're so consistent. And then the more I beat myself up, the less I'm on it. And I'm like, when, so when did social media, like I went to my chiropractor last night and this kid was like in before me, this kid was like 18 years old and he was trying to convince my chiropractor to go on some sort of medical platform for tech bros, startups. <sighs> like he's like, and Andrew Huberman's on it and this and that and blah, 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 blah. My chiropractor's like, I don't want notoriety. I don't want my face on anything. He's like, no, 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 it's private, whatever. The kid leaves and I'm just like, oh my God. Like he just couldn't even respect the fact that you wanted to. He's like, well, he's 18. Like he just had some video on TikTok and he was like, it got a million views of like, some sort of whatever. And and that's when I was like, God, that is why I feel this way because it feels like a lot of today's society is like, can you go viral? Like how many views did you get? How consistent are you on this platform? And that's why I beat myself up because when I go to it, it doesn't necessarily give me that dopamine high. I don't, I feel less alone. I think I feel like I'm actually getting my work done when I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And then once I start, I'm like, then I get the high of like, okay, yes, I'm doing it. Keep going, keep going. And as soon as I stop, that's when the anxiety starts again. It's wild. I was going to ask you, do you feel that social media has changed your relationship with yourself? Like, does it affect your relationship with yourself aside from when you take those breaks? Yeah. When I first got on, like really got on social media and was sharing my Adderall story, I got to say like those two years following were some of the happiest years of my entire life. And I think it's for the first time I like really loved myself. Like I loved myself for exactly who I was, my pain, my insecurity, just like looking at myself. This is before like there were even like filters. It's like, I love myself. Like I'm beautiful in all of my self-expression. And I felt really empowered by social media because of it. And I was like, wow, I actually, I have a voice. I matter. You know, it solved a lot of my issues. But the problem was, is that after those two years, you know, I love this platform so much, but then the comparison game started to kick in the further I got into it and the further I was going like, oh, well, so-and-so is doing this. Like, I got to do more of this. And that's when it started to get a little negative, which I still have to watch myself on. So I know that you were like pretty open about when you had filler and then took it out, et cetera. Do you feel like that, I don't know the timeline, was that previous to those two years you're referring to? No. the Yeah. The filler happened after that. It happened like Do you feel like that was a byproduct of social media, like getting that in the first place? No, because 
because I don't ever, I didn't follow any, I don't follow celebrities or like, yeah, I don't, the Kardashians, I don't watch mm-hmm. reality TV. I think I grew up in LA, to be honest with you. And I used to model in my 20s. My mom was a model. And I think a lot of like vanity is just like really deeply ingrained in me, especially for my modeling years. And so I was feeling bad about myself and run down. And a lot of my friends even talk like, oh, I'm getting older. I need to do this. I need to do that. When my friends are like doing something, I'm like, I need to do something. Then what? I I should change something. And then I got a little, uh, and I was single. I was having just like a moment and I went in and it was like way too much. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I mean, LA is tough for that yeah. reason too. Mm-hmm. It's actually not even as bad in New York. Yeah. I always joke to my parents that I li- if I lived in LA during my 20s, I think my face would look really different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think though that social media for the first time, like as you said, in those first two years really allowed you to love yourself because you were being seen for who you were the first for the first time? Yeah. Nobody ever, I, I never felt like I was seen or accepted ever. Not once, not by friends, not by family, not by anybody. So my whole life, I was like, I have to change in order to be loved. I have to be this way, even in all my romantic relationships, which actually funny enough, I think like one of them, I dated this guy I dated for three years in New York. I think honestly, if I was actually just myself, and stops trying to be this to fit whatever, the story I was telling myself to fit into his world or whatever, he, he probably would have loved me a lot more than me trying to, you know, well, I need to be this successful. I need to be that. And he's like, I'm not telling you any of this. Like you're doing this all to yourself. And I did it to myself because of how I felt in high school and how I felt in my own home growing up. So finally, like, you know, my quirkiness, my passion for health was finally not made fun of. I was not seen as weird. My quirkiness was loved. You know, my wanting to share things, I could finally share things and not be scared about it. Like I'm an only child. I had an imaginary friend when I was younger. Like I needed somebody to talk to that wasn't just like a therapist sitting there, you know, whatever. I want really wanted somebody to talk to and I really wanted friends. And then I started making a lot like the friends, the kind of friends that I want. Stopped trying to fit into these friendship groups where I was sitting there going like, what is wrong with me? Why am I so unhappy being around these people? It's the wrong people for me. So do you think you spent a lot of your like upbringing, childhood, like early post-college years trying to like fit in with these type of people? And then when you 
went on Instagram for the first time and did your Adderall detox very publicly, you finally were like, no, this is me. And this is the side of me that's being seen. And I feel just so in my worth right now. And then since then you chose friendships accordingly who see you. Oh yeah. And relationships. It's just like, I even remember when I was at NYU, it's like you weren't cool unless you had a drug problem and you were out in the clubs doing, you know, blow with, I don't know, I probably shouldn't mention these celebrities' names, but all these <laughs> friggin' celebrities and the, these particular group of girls, literally. And it was just like, I was not cool because I wasn't at Beatrice and blowing <laughs> yeah. lines with these people. And when I would go and try, it felt so dark. I just wanted to like die inside at the idea of like just being a part of it. But I was not cool. So then all of a sudden, like, I'm not invited. If I want to get invited to something though, then I got to be like that or I got to dress a certain way or I got to have a certain sad attitude. I don't know. So it's like, there'd be instances like that where I was just like, who am I? I had no freaking clue who I was for the longest time. It was my whole life was literally about trying to be somebody for somebody else. And it wasn't until I started getting on social media where I was like, I don't have to be anything but myself. <laughs> so your close relationships though, the ones that like stood by you and supported you and you felt you were able to be yourself around before the social media thing, did they also support you when you started sharing super vulnerably? Yeah, they're very proud and very impressed and, you know, very supportive. Nobody, I didn't have one friend go like, you know, bye. I think the friends that I wasn't meant to be with just kind of like drifted off because we have nothing just, to talk about. All of a sudden I was like, I'm going to talk about things I want to talk about. No, that's great. Friendships can be are temporary, yeah, right? They totally. People come into our lives and come out and that's totally fine. How about like relationships? So now like when you're dating people and they see you share so vulnerably on social media, are they comfortable with that? Does that intimidate them? Mm, it depends on the person. I've had like the full... uh actually I haven't been on, I have really, honestly, it's only been what, six years since I've really been on social media. So the people that I've dated, it's been a poo-poo platter. Like when I, <laughs> I dated one guy, I was not big on social media. And this guy was like, you need to be more on social media He's because you have a gift of like health stuff and people don't know this and you need to put your face out there. And I'm like, no, because I was always like, I got to make myself small to be liked. If I'm, if I'm smaller and I'm not taking up too much space, nobody's going to be mean to me. So like, that's the impression and idea I got. So anyways, that relationship broke up and then <laughs> I was in another one and he hated it. And he would try and say things like you're insignificant your, all these things because he didn't want me to be on social media. And then we broke up and then I did the whole <laughs> Adderall detox by myself. And then I was dating a bunch of people like casually for a while. And then I met somebody who was, while he was supportive of social media, he didn't like being on it himself. And that was hard for me because then I would see couples on it. And to me, it's like, to me, to really be in flow on social media, I have to be really honest about every single thing. And they're like, but that's not my journey. That's your journey. And so I wasn't very respectful half the time of it. Sometimes I would do things in post without asking or, you know, things like that. I was very naughty. And he wasn't trying to do it to like 
whatever. It was just more so like, this is my personal life. He also was having issues with me sharing certain things like poop and, you know, <laughs> a lot of guys. It's I like, love your poop content. Yeah. The poops, the periods, <laughs> the, all of this sort of stuff. So then when I got into my last relationship, he was very supportive because he didn't understand social media. He was like, he wasn't really on it, but he would, he would like see what the response would be. And he's like, oh my God. So when I got my vagina surgery, he was like, you need to share this. I was like, excuse me, like says no guy ever. Like literally I thought like he would have a huge problem. He's like, no, it's like your duty in life now. Like you have to share this. It's going to help people. I'm convinced it's going to help people. And he was so right. And so everything I wanted to share, he was like, share it. And like, you know, use me as your doll on there. If you need me to, if you want me to. Like he was just supportive. Yeah, very supportive. But then, you know, like I had a conversation with, my ex and he was just like, you know, people were sending me video screenshots of your burning vagina flesh, like (laughs) going like, aren't you so happy you're not dating this girl anymore Oh my! because of this? Listen, I get both sides of the coin, but like at the end of the day, it's like, this is who I am. And this is the really heartbreaking stories women wrote into me with this whole vagina surgery was like, I mean, really devastating, but at least they have like a like a light at the end of the tunnel and like a different form of self-acceptance. Like, and that all vaginas, some women don't even know that they all looked so different. So yeah, I, I just think like for me, just somebody has to be okay with at least me sharing. And I'm just convinced that over time they'll get comfortable with, you know, because that's really a lot of the way the world is going. And it's not like I need to air out every single piece of dirty laundry, but I do need to be able to feel like myself. Otherwise, I just don't feel authentic. When I don't feel authentic or in my personal integrity or truly vulnerable to share, then I I literally can't. I can become paralyzed. I can't go online. I'm really bad at faking it. It's interesting because I think, at least in my personal experience, I know Annabelle has had a similar one. I almost feel like social media was kind of what got me lost. Like mm-hmm. I got lost in social media. Yeah. And then, but it sounds like for you, it was actually... You were found. We were, you found yourself. Like you found a voice yeah. and you found your people and your it helped foster an environment to create what you've created. And to like lean into who you truly are, to totally. your authentic self. But also like how do you, I'm sure you still get a lot of judgment and hate by sharing your entire life, right? I do, but I'm really bad at reading DMs. So it actually <laughs> serves me really well. Like it actually almost, my algorithm, it's like, I don't check the, request. I try to every now and then, but if it's like a bad thing, I just delete it. But I really, smart. I feel so lucky. Like I don't have a huge following. I have a very loyal following. And I think I've just gotten to the point where like the negative people are so few and far between. And I'm so grateful for that. I think I have a huge following. I would have like a lot of haters, but because I don't, I just think like, I'm, I'm very lucky and it does get in my head, especially like during the pandemic, what people don't realize, a lot of influencers didn't realize that there were bots trying to drive the narrative online when it came to any sort of movement or whatever it was, was going on because they needed to create a divide. And a lot of them were like, apparently Russian and Iranian bots, like just bots coming in and taking profiles and like telling you, you're not doing this or you're not doing that or hating on you. And it wasn't until 
I did deep research and you would be able to start to tell like the commonality between the bots. And so I just deleted them. If you don't respond, they don't come back because they're going on to the next person. So that I learned a lot about. And then I just learned like, just delete, like you just got to delete this person. And every now and then I would get really down on myself. If somebody says something really hurtful, then it like weighs on me. Like somebody had said something recently about my conversion to Judaism, but somebody else in the comments read it and then like went attack style on them. (laughs) And then I was just getting entertained by the whole thing and just realizing like, that's life. Like, and it's my choice. I'm putting myself out there. Like I can't sit there and go, woe is me. Like I'm putting myself out there. There's going to be somebody that doesn't like me, if not a lot of people that don't like me. And I'm kind of welcoming it. I also think it's kind of counteracted by the fact that you have so many people writing in to say like how much you've changed them like or healed them or your information has helped them so much get to somewhere that they've always wanted to be. Like I see a lot of your DMs that you screenshot and it's really amazing the impact you're able to have on people's lives. So that also in itself is very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I get down on myself and I'm like, I can't post anymore. I'm insignificant this person has a million followers. Like what, what am I doing in life? Like I was just in Aspen and this girl came up, I was at a table full of a bunch of people that don't even know me that well, like 10 people. And she was just like, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Like I don't fan on celebrities and I don't go up to celebrities, but you're a celebrity to me. And like, you've changed my life. Oh my God, I'm going to start crying. I'm going to start crying. And I was like, don't cry. And like, I stood up and she's like, can I take a picture with you? You've, you've changed my life. You've changed all my friends' lives. Like they all got off Adderall. Like, and she just started crying. And like the whole table was like, what is happening right now? And that's when I was like, oh, you know, I changed one life. This person, like I got to keep going. Yeah. That's amazing. It's powerful. I was going to ask you, so like online, you have this like, you're like, I just delete. I see it's bad. I delete if you can, right? Do you do that in in real life? Like with friends, if you're like, this is bad energy, are you pretty like discerning? And Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky I don't have like bad energy people around me. Mm-hmm. If I feel like somebody's like situation is sucking my energy or I'm not showing up as my best, I just kind of slowly just pull out it's like, it's not really that noticeable. We just drift. It just drifts. Yeah. Never. I'm not a huge person on confrontation. I'm not, we're all doing our own journey, you know, unless somebody wrongs me, but that doesn't really happen. I can't tell you like the last time I had like a friend drama, you know, but I, it just sort of like fizzles and separates out. How about with clients? Because I know you you have a ton of clients every day and you take on a lot of people's energy and that's like your job. Are there any like sometimes clients that will come in and you just get really sensitive to their energy and have to put like an energy bubble around you to just kind of like do your thing? All the time. Like even like, well now since my office flooded, we're all FaceTime, but like even my assistant, it's just like some people before we get on, we like both take a deep breath and like prepare ourselves for like what's about to happen because some people are energy vampires and they're trying their best to suck it all out of you. Or they can be really aggressive. When you deal with people that are dealing with inner pain or chronic issues, you know, they sometimes need a place to put it and they want to put it on you. And while I'm there to help take control of the situation 
they start to want to place blame on, th- like they need to find someone to blame. So it's just about like, I've gotten a lot better at not accepting that blame, like just creating this, Divide. you know, what yours is yours. What, what's mine is mine. I'm here to help. I'm not here to absorb. Sometimes I'll feel like I absorbed something and then I'll like quickly smudge myself or, you know, say a quick prayer to let go of it. It's hard yeah. not to. Because your whole like practice and really career is based on like the image of you and yeah. your time and your in person and, and all of that. I mean, it must take tremendous amount of mental energy that without meditation and mindfulness and doing the work inside of you would be really challenging to not just take on everyone else's, especially as an empath. Yeah. And sometimes I take it on. I think I'm doing such a good job. And then like three weeks will go by and then it'll be a Friday. I like, I don't see clients on Friday and I can't get out of bed. Like I literally cannot get out of bed. And to me, it's like, again, that tough girl comes into play where it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Get your ass up. Like trying to like, oh, I did this wrong or I did this wrong or whatever. And I just don't even stop to sit and go like, wow, you just took on like, I don't know. I see about six, up to 65, 65 to 85 people a week in four days. So if I'm taking that on three weeks in a row and I'm not doing any sort of self-care, I will crash. Like I will crash. Like my colon hydrotherapist, I love this woman. She's so healing for me. What we've actually realized, because I used to tell her, I think I have an extra long colon. She's like, you don't, Vanessa. What happens is it's almost like your like superpower. It's like you're sucking it out of them and it just gets lodged into your colon area. It's like you're just holding everything in your gut. And I was like, wow, that's so powerful because every time I leave her, it's like all those people have now left me. She's like, you just really have to get much more diligent about creating that divide. Divide. Because to me, sometimes like, cause I am type A, I'm just moving from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. And then I have a dinner plan and then whatever. And it's like, oh, whatever, you know? And then all of a sudden I'm crying on the couch and can't get off the couch. And I can't figure out why nothing happened to me. It's just because it's literally just energy transference and it's going to make me sick if I don't like get better at it. So I'm trying to get much, like I'm trying to be really on it. I think that's something people don't typically think about in their days. They're like, oh, like I'm having a great day. I'm being super productive and whatever. And then, you know, they find themselves not being able to get out of bed on a Friday. They don't really think, oh, it's like, it must be the energy that I've taken in, right? Like people just think of things external, but really it is an energy thing. And some people have more toxic energy and more negative energy than others. And we let all of that in. We have to just be more mindful of what we take in. It's funny. I did a podcast yesterday and they're asking like, what do you love? Like that's going on in health right now. Like what is exciting you? What is the, like the latest study, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, you know, it's not about the health stuff anymore. For me, it's the mental health stuff. It's the emotional stuff that nobody's dealing with. Like I will see client after client after client and I'm working on them. And after X amount of time, like there's a barrier to healing. Sometimes it's an energetic block. Sometimes they'll have a setback in a bodily reaction that we have now handled. And they're like, oh, you know, the burping's back, the rash is back, you know, whatever it is. And it's just, I just get this like crazy instinct, like something in your life is not right. Something needs to change. And it's your emotional response. It's your thought process. It's your whatever. Now I'm becoming obsessed 
with how the body stores energy, how emotions actually manifest themselves in our bodily reactions, and how literally I cannot heal a single soul without them doing that type of work as well. Yeah, it's all related. There's, a, I haven't read it, but there is that book with a body, body keeps, keeps score. The score it's amazing. It's a have great read, book. Yeah, yeah, maybe I should read it. But I was going to ask, how do you like if you walked in today and you were like, yeah, it's been a tough week, things are going on, et cetera, et cetera. How do you not bring that into your sessions on the flip side? I think I have this like insane gift where like I could literally be having a full-blown meltdown that morning. And as soon as the first person turns on, it's like not about me anymore. Right. It's almost like it actually pulls me out of my own stuff. It's so funny to me when I get on FaceTime with clients and I'm like, hi, how are you? Like, what's been going on? Like, I'm good. How are you? How's your week? And I'm like, we're not here to talk about. I always get like, Mm -hmm. and I'll be like, I'm good. Like, how are you? And they're like, good. How are you? And I'm like, how long are we going to keep doing this back and forth for? (laughs) Like, this is not my session. This is your session. You know, all the time I try not to, if I'm not well, I'm not like, oh, I'm not well. That's not my job. Like, I'm like, I'm always like, it's, I'm good. While I think it's very sweet that, or it's just like a trained reaction in their brain, but some people are like really sweet and they want to know how I am. But to me, it's like, this is not, this is a session. This is your session. This is everything that goes on in this individual session is completely about you. And I forget myself in those moments. So it just sort of like, in my own way, it keeps me above water, even in the times where I am really going through it. Like I've had to work through days where I've had crazy face reactions, where I've had angioedema and my eyes are almost swollen shut. I have angioedema too. And my eyes would swell shut, but I'm still showing up and I would look at them and like, I literally forget my body. And I say at the beginning, like, sorry, I look crazy. How are you feeling? Like, it's not even about, not yeah. about you. It's not about me. It's you never become about like me. a channel because to, this is to be in service of others. Like you're yeah. no longer just like there for. I understand that. Yeah, because it's part it of is. your calling. Yeah, and they'll see me on Instagram, like you know, upset or whatever it is, and then they'll get on the Facetime and they'll feel like she must be really going through it. But that's not. It's almost like that's my purge too, like sharing it on social so that I'm able to do what I can do so that I'm, you know, sharing it on social is also a way where I'm not actually placing it on friends when they don't need that or a partner when they don't need that. It's like an outlet. It's like journaling almost, live journaling. Yeah, that's amazing. It's interesting. Yeah. Because you use social media in in a really positive way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people find it challenging to use it in a positive way, especially influencers. A lot of them have, you know, serious issues because of their job. But it seems like you've really used it to amplify your authentic voice and then get to know your voice and then just be more comfortable in your own skin, which is so beautiful. Yeah. I was going to ask you if, So like for me, you know, Andrew Huberman says that if you think you have ADD or you're easily distracted, just like get off social media and get off your phone because like that creates more distraction, like not just creates more distraction, but it can make you feel very scattered. Mm -hmm. As someone that uses social media, like it's a huge tool for your business. Do you, how do you balance that? Do you feel scattered by, or like, are you someone that's like, I don't know you that well personally, like, are you constantly on your phone? Like, do you have boundaries with your phone? Yeah. It almost looks like I'm never on my phone when you're with me or hanging out with me because 
even my ex would say that I'm really bad at, like I said, I'm actually a very bad influencer. So like- <laughs> That's because you're not, not an influencer. Though. Yeah. Like you are, you're sharing your content from a place of intention to help people, yeah. not to influence and make money from ads. And it's like whatever I feel like posting. So it's never consistent and it's just kind of all over the place sometimes. And- you know, I beat myself up about that because of that. Like I watched my friends surpass me by far in numbers and, you know, they're just really excelling. Like they're getting all of this cool stuff because of what they're doing. And I'm on, I don't even have the time to do it. And I get really mentally drained at the end of the workday where it's like, I can't even, I'm trying to get better. Like I would like to become a little bit more of like a, like a go, 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 go. And figure out how to emotionally process and post and do all this sort of stuff. So for me, it doesn't exacerbate my ADD. But what I do see is I worry when I have children one day is that everything's becoming quicker, faster. And I'm watching people post reels and I'm like, wait, I didn't even see that last photo. It's like, <laughs> it's like literally I saw a girl post a reel of her vacation. And I think everything was like half a second. I was like, ah, like... For me, I was like, wow, this is literally what you have to do to get people to pay attention now. It's like, it's right. crazy. Keeping up and evolving with social media trends. Oh my God. But like things are so fast, like you're because your brain and then your attention span becomes shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter where it's like, really, you can only focus for half a second. It's wild. It's like, scary. That's what scares <laughs> me. It's a scary generation it to bring, bring kids up in right now. It's scary. <laughs> I'm like, that's it. We're getting, going backpacking and we're going to hike for like 200 miles yeah. without yeah. the phone. No service. There's all, yeah. there's all, I really want a flip phone. I'm like, I saw a girl with a flip phone outside of Erewhon yesterday. I was like, this, I'm so, too, this does not fit in. I'm too, <laughs> yeah, I'm too like, what do I do about my music? What do I do about this? Yeah. But like, I really, because I, I have, I don't have boundaries with my phone. Like I'm, if I'm with you and I'm on my phone, I'm happy for you to be like, get off your phone. I, I tell her that. Yeah. 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 Like I'm like, you can yell at me about it. And I'm like, yes, you're right. But I'm so easily distracted. And most often it's like, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to look something up. I'm going to play a song. And then I'll end up on Instagram for like an hour. Yeah, my girlfriend, when she slept over, she was like, I have a serious addiction to my phone. And I hang out with her all the time. <laughs> and I never knew that or saw that. And she was just like, no, she literally was on her phone. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, what are you even doing on there? Like, how are you? She's not even scrolling. I don't even know what she's doing. And then like, before I went to bed, she has her phone. She's like, Wordle. I love Wordle. I'm like, what the fuck is Wordle? She's like, it's something in the New York Times. It's like this thing that you guess. She's like, I do it when I can't sleep. Yeah. But like, you really actually do have a serious addiction. addiction. Yeah. Nope. People are addicted to their phones. I was just telling Aaron, my husband, who Vanessa knows very well, about the phone thing. And I was like, maybe you should, in our new house, why don't you leave your phone downstairs when you sleep? But then he was like, but my alarm. So now we got eight sleep this oh, like yeah. the bed and it like makes one side cold or really hot or vibrate to wake you up instead of an alarm. So now he has that. And yesterday was the first night he slept with his phone downstairs. And oh, I was like, so amazing. I'm just like really proud yeah. that he came to that by himself because I think going back to relationships, it's hard to not force your opinions on other people because sometimes you just want to change them. And my personality too, I have this like control, like personality from childhood again, being in this very like tied to perfectionism led me to be more controlling. But sometimes I'm just like much more, you know what? He'll come to it if he wants to. Doesn't change anything for me. I'm still going to leave my phone downstairs. And if he uses that as an example and he wants to try it, great, good for him. 
Well, like knowing Aaron, like even as a client, like the guy wants to optimize and always be better. So like I have tremendous amount of respect for him because whether it's like he's doing the, you know, external stuff and internal stuff, he's always looking for a way to optimize, learn more and be better. Yeah, that's, I mean, perfect to say about him. That's exactly what he does. It's amazing. Yeah. It's very expanding for me. Yeah. Once I finally realized not to compare myself to Aaron, be like, why am I not doing like his 50,000 things that he does before 6 a.m.? Because he wakes up at 4.30. I then can respect him and admire him for who he is. That's such a good point. I've been in so many relationships where I've like compared myself and I've actually gotten competitive where yeah. I've, like, I've slowly destructed the relationship because I end up feeling bad about myself. For yeah. what? They're not doing anything but living their lives. A hundred percent. I'm kind yeah. of going through that right now where yeah. I'm like, I'm, this is the first relationship I've been in where he helps me more. Usually I'm like the guru being like, well, this, I read this in a book and I do this like the teacher. And he's much more of that for me, which is amazing. And I love it. But I'm almost insecure about it too. Like I'm like, oh, he doesn't think need I'm you. wise. He, he doesn't, doesn't need, need me. You. He doesn't, you know, like it's, we just make problems for ourselves. <laughs> I think we as women I didn't, I didn't realize this either until my last relationship. We we need to feel needed. Like we want to feel needed. Like Mm -hmm. there is this nurturing side inside of us. That's like, and I didn't realize that that until I was in a relationship with somebody who was like, literally, I don't need you. Like, like I, I want you here, but he wouldn't allow me to cook for him, to help clean, to uh, help him with his health stuff. It was like nothing to the point where I would actually get because I I didn't realize this, but I defined myself by my work in my relationships as well. Like, wow, I'm here to heal and fix and solve, and, <laughs> you know? And like, he wouldn't allow me to literally do anything, not lift a finger, just like, just be you, just do you. And I'm like, but that is me. And right. so then I had this huge identity crisis where I was like in the relationship where I was just like, so anxious and almost like sad because I felt like I wasn't contributing. I was weird. It was such a weird feeling until I stepped back and I was like, wow, you really define yourself by like, yeah. Yeah. You're like, why am I here? I also think take on what I'm trying to, the way I know how to love. Yeah. That's the way exactly. And then it's like, well, what if we would just like, it's like having a child. It's like, I don't love you because you're smart. I don't love you because you're talented. I don't love you because you're kind. I don't love you because you're beautiful. I love you because you are you. And that's powerful. But that takes a lot of work because I'm reading Conscious Parenting right now. I'm about to have a baby. But a lot of it is how can you parent from a place that removes your ego completely and parent from loving the kid for exactly who they are. And if you want them to go to this school because XYZ is going there and it's a status symbol, but they're more into like a theater school, then it's like letting them guide you. But to let go of your ego is very challenging. It's very hard to just like love someone for exactly who they are, not want to change, not want to tweak all of that stuff because we... We start putting our <laughs> ego in because it looks good if my daughter goes to this school or plays piano at the recital. Like it looks good to society. But oh, 100%. And that is like, I can't imagine how hard that challenge must be because I'm sure I will be doing the same thing and catching my ego in almost everything. Yeah. Well, I haven't got there yet, but yeah. I will gift you the book when you, yes. when you have this baby. <laughs> um, okay. This has been such an amazing conversation, Vanessa. It so really appreciate has. your vulnerability and how open you've been. And everyone, 
if you want to, well, you need to follow Vanessa for all sorts of things. But if you're interested in wellness or you're looking for some healing techniques, um, facing chronic illnesses or really anything going on, her content is incredible and it's fulfilling for her too, which is the intention that she's putting out the content with is really beautiful. So it really comes across when you're actually viewing her content that it's not there for her to make money through ads or sponsor brands or all that. It's that she she truly wants to share this information for the better of the world. So definitely give her a follow. And our last question that we always ask is, what's the point? Which is the name of our podcast and really trying to understand like your why. And this is something that can evolve a lot. It could be different yesterday than it is today. But what's your point? In this moment, I guess. I think the point in my, like the whole point to my life is to become more one with source or God or whatever it is that that you believe in. And to be love, to be love is, we are love, but to actually be it is so challenging. And I think that is my point to life is to constantly strive to be love and to understand that I am one with source. And that's what drives me. And that's what keeps me going because I only have this lifetime and then I die and then maybe I come back another lifetime. You know, it's (laughs) like, what do I want to do with these years I have left on this planet in this body named Vanessa Fitzgerald? It's, I just want to love and be loved. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm going to think about that all day. It's the best podcast. I think this is my favorite podcast I've ever done. I've done a lot of podcasts. That means so much. much. That means so much. This is interesting to me. Like all the other interviews, it's like, I mean, I love everybody's podcast. (laughs) Yeah, be back on your podcast, by the way. (laughs) But like, I am a little bit tired of talking about the same shit different day. You know, it's a lot. Well, thank you for going there with us. No, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.